0: Hello, Digital Cathedral family. Brace yourselves for an awe-inspiring journey on Don Keefley's podcast. Take a seat, find your comfort, and let's plunge into the heart of the divine. And now, here's the exciting conclusion. The Why of Grace, part two. A feast for your spirit.
1: Good morning everybody, glad you're with me once again here at the Digital Cathedral on Sunday morning. This is July the 16th, so we're right in the middle of summer. Hope you're having a good summer. Hope some of you have been able to take a little bit of vacation, take a break, and uh, you're all refreshed and ready to go. Or you're looking forward to a vacation. Maybe the last part of the summer is when you go on vacation. If you ever wanted to get some verses that I think are, are so strong in grace that you would have to be blind in one eye and not see out of the other to miss what Paul is saying here. If you ever want some verses to maybe give to your friends that are starting maybe to get just a glimpse. I had lunch the other day with a man who has been a, a mixture guy for years and years. He didn't know it's a mixture. He knows I'm, I'm, my, what the message is that I teach, and all of a sudden now uh, he's beginning to see, and he asked me some questions about Romans chapter 5, verse 17, 18, which I'm not going to really get into, but I'm just going to make a point uh, that though, that was an opportune time for me to give him some verses that might help open his eyes even a little bit further than what they're presently opening. It's amazing how God is opening people's eyes, the eyes of their understanding. They're starting to see stuff. Uh, they're starting not just to see it, but to comprehend it. All coming internally, as they begin to change inside, it changes what they think, and it changes their behavior. But here, here are three or four really good verses from Ephesians chapter two. I, I love how Paul puts this down. Ephesians chapter two. Let me read verses four, five, six, seven. That's four verses. He says, But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, well, we could spend all morning on the love that God has, and his mercy comes out of that love. So love and mercy really are are kissing cousins here. You can't have mercy without unconditional love. You can't have unconditional love, but what it extends, mercy. Now here's here's in operation. Let me, let me, let me just keep going here. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, here's it's demonstrated. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Now he's he took you when you were dead in trespasses and sins, and he made you alive together with Christ, right? By grace, you have been saved, plus nothing, no additives, no prayer, no repentance. By grace, you have been saved. Now watch what else he does. This is grace and mercy in operation. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, positioned you there so that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Man, if ever there was good news, that is good news. Now, here's what, here's what happens. Once grace begins to unfold, once you see grace in operation, once your eyes open to this, it starts being like the peeling of an onion. It just goes one layer after another layer after another layer. It gets better and better. Or as my one of my friends says, it gets gooder and gooder. And with each layer of grace, God begins to expose some things, begins to show you some truth. He'll begin to show you the fatherhood of God for all men. He'll begin to show you what unconditional love really looks like without conditions. He'll show you the inclusion of all humanity in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus demonstrating that there is only one God and Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in all. Those are unshakable truths that grace will lead you to. But like the pitchman on TV says, wait, there's more, there's more. Not only does does he show those four things, those, those three, four things, he also is going to show you, grace is going to take you to where you understand your authentic identity, who you really are, who you've been the whole time. What Paul said in Galatians 1 when he said, When it pleased the Father who separated me from my mother's womb, to reveal the Christ that was in me, this Christ that was always in me, that I was blind to, I was blind to it to such an extent that I wanted to eliminate the church, Paul says. To reveal the Christ that was in me. Then Paul later on in Romans chapter 8, verses 29 to 32, he talks about those that he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Those that he predestined, he justified. Those that he justified, he glorified. Takes you through a whole scenario of where grace takes you. I kind of what I do, I kind of get a visualization, a visualization of grace is like a super highway. And there's all these exits off, universal fatherhood of God, inclusion, unconditional love, mercy that endures forever, authentic identity. Those all come, at least in my experience, they all come once we get this revelation of grace. I'll tell you another thing you see. You see mercy that endures forever. It's new every morning. What is it? Psalm, I think it's Psalm 136. There are like 26, 27 times in this one Psalm that says his mercy endures forever. It see, it doesn't, it, his relationship with you is not set in concrete the moment that you transition out of this level of consciousness to the next level of consciousness. It's it's an ongoing relationship. And you will eventually see who you've always been and what he's fully provided for you. Now, once those once those four or five things, Grace leads you into. Then there's an automatic conclusion that you have to come to, and that is eternal conscious torment is an absolute horrendous heresy that has been propagated on the people of God that has has no scriptural validity. If you if that shocks you, if you're new to the digital cathedral, that shocks you. Pick up my book on Amazon called Hell's Illusion. I will I will totally dismantle that and eliminate the fear that it has brought to generations. Right? I, I don't want to get into any of those. I could just take off and go down a whole bunch of rabbit trails. But what I really want to do this morning is finish up what I started last week. Now before I do that, there was a scripture that came to mind. Uh, what I started last week is why we actually live this message of grace with all of the opposition to pushback uh, that people give you. Many of you have lost friends, you've been asked to leave your church, uh, you don't have any people around you and you feel all by yourself. And it's easy to give up and go back. It's easy to go back to Egypt when all of your friends are telling you, look, this is wrong, it's a heresy, it's false teaching. But you know in your know that, man, this is true. This is, there's something here. So there there came a scripture to me this past week that as we unfold it again, I'm going to finish what I started last week. Last week I gave you four reasons why we live this message, we walk it out, we don't give an inch on it, we're like Paul, we don't, we don't back up on pure, radical, hyper grace apart from any works in law, but there is a scripture that I think you need to understand because when you read the New Testament, especially, especially post-resurrection, you can get a little bit confused. And here's here's what I want to read to you. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Let me just hop over there real quick. Uh, And this is is worth noting. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 8 says this. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, or to the Jews, also worked effectively in me. Same spirit of truth. Unveiling and revealing. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace the grace that had been given to me, this level of grace, they gave, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they should go to the circumcised. Now, why is that important to note? Because when you read through the New Testament, Paul and Peter, James, and John don't always agree. Paul's pretty much by himself on this. And I'm bringing this to light this morning because when you read Peter, James, and John, you will see some mixture in their message. And I think that's probably the level the Spirit of Truth had them at that particular time because they were were teaching Jews that lived on both sides of the cross. I call them a transitional generation. So the, 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 the best message they could give was a Joseph Prince or Andrew Womack message of, of a mixture message because they were dealing with people that were transitioning out of the the law side of the cross to the grace side. And I think I tip my hat to Joseph Prince and Andrew Womack because that's pretty much who they're dealing with. Now, you grow out of that pretty quick, and you begin to see the law that is still interwoven in their message. For example, the tithe. They both teach tithe. Tithing is on the law. There's no question about it. So Peter, James, and John went to the Jews, Paul went to the Gentiles, and a message that Paul carried to the Gentiles was one of pure grace. All right. So let me get into this. Let me finish up what I started last week. <clears throat> I gave you four reasons last week, and I'm going to give you four more this week on, on why we don't abandon this message of grace, why we stick to it, why it is shaking the planet. But we're still in a, in a time when sometimes we feel a little bit separated, we feel a little bit lonely like we're by ourselves. When I started teaching this 20 years ago, I didn't know anybody. Honestly didn't, it was actually about 23 years ago. I didn't know anybody. Steve McVeigh was the first person that reached out to me. I didn't know Steve McVeigh from a a sack of beans. (laughs) He's one of my best friends right now, today. And he reached out to me. Later I met Malcolm Smith. Those two guys are pillars, man, and they have been teaching this thing before it was ever cool before it was ever kind of a a message that people are are grasping onto so i i i gave you four reasons last week i will give you four more this week about why we teach this message of radical pure hyper grace that does not have a mixture of any you must do you got to you got to conform hoops to jump laws to keep see so, someone asked me last week, and it's a very it's a valid question. They asked me why I say hyper grace, radical grace, pure grace isn't grace just grace. Well, yes, indeed, the Bible when it talks about grace, g- grace is simply grace, and the Bible speaks of grace. Doesn't it? Doesn't well, it does. I want to point to Scripture where it actually talks about hyper grace. Here's the problem. Grace has been perverted and diminished and redefined by the Western church, especially the evangelical church. And what grace is accepted as the norm today is not what Paul taught, it's more what Peter, James, and John taught. A good Baptist, good charismatic will say, yeah, absolutely, I believe in grace. Grace is a great word. But for you to to capture grace, they will tell you that you need to align yourself with the Father by your obedience, by your actions, and when you align perfectly, then yes, he he distributes grace to you. They would call it unmerited favor. No, it's, it's not unmerited favor. Grace is what the Father has deposited within you. We just read it in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 4. It's everything that he has done, everything he has gifted you with because of the finished work of the cross. Paul's Paul's grace was Jesus plus nothing. Paul taught that you didn't have to You didn't have to receive what you already have, nor do you have to become who you already are. That's authentic identity right there. See, when you learn who you've always been from Genesis 2-7, the breath of God that entered into your life, you've always had a, a divine nature. You didn't know it. You bought into what the culture teaches. You bought into what the church said. So Paul's kind of grace is very radical To the world in which we live in today, right? It's very, it's very, it's hyper, it's over the top, it's pure, nothing you can add to it, no strings, no strings attached to Paul's grace. Paul taught grace apart from faith. And James, here you go, James taught that uh, faith without works is dead. So Paul taught faith apart from works, James says, faith without works is dead. Now, do you see the conflict there? So that's why I say that Paul is our guy. I, I get a lot of, I can get truth from Peter, James, and John, but if I really am structuring my belief system, I lean very heavily on Paul post-cross. Now, there is one instance when the word hooper in Greek, or we could say it's radical or hyper, it's super grace. In uh, Romans 5:20, I, I think I'm giving you the right verse, it says that where sin abounded, Grace exceeding, grace exceeded the sin, or grace superabounded. And the word exceeding there is the word "hooper" H-U-P-E-R. So there is a massive return today back to Paul's level of grace. It's a very grassroots movement. It's not coming from a lot of preachers, pastors, teachers, TBN, um, the other network, Joni, I can't remember the name of it right offhand. But, or Jimmy Swaggart's network. Uh, I get that, the Sun Life Broadcasting Network. Man, those guys are steeped in legalism. Very, very little grace. So what we're finding today is that grace is colliding with the Western church. Grace is colliding with all of the belief systems that have been established based on you must do, you must become. Where Paul says, no, you, you don't have to do anything. You're already it. You're already a partaker of the divine nature. He has already given to you everything that you need in life. It's already been created. It's in the invisible. And all we need to do is learn how to move it from the invisible to the visible. And I've done some teaching on that. So last week we did this. Let me give you a quick review. Last week we said that we teach and live this message on a continual basis. It's a pure grace message. And I gave you four reasons last week. First of all, it's because you were called and appointed to do it. Why you were, I don't know. I I ask God that a lot of times. God, why why'd you pluck me out? Why'd you begin to show me this stuff? I was happy doing what I was doing. Uh, I had questions, but man, when you begin to show me this message, there was no way that I could go back on it. I, you you appointed me. You called me. He's appointed you and called you to do what Paul said was to exercise the ministry of reconciliation. That means that through your lifestyle, you don't have to stand on the hood of a car at 7-Eleven and preach. You don't have to go get an ordination certificate. This message of reconciliation is lived out in the life of those that begin to see it. And we can begin to let people know that the Father has forgiven them from all sins. Sin is moot point. From the father's perspective, from the father's eyes. Does that mean that you just run out and sin, do whatever you want? No, man. If you do, you're going to suffer consequences. You rob a bank, you're going to prison. You beat your wife, you're going to jail. Right? There's consequences of bad behavior, but it's not from the father. You find yourself doing uh, two to ten at Texas Department of Corrections. That's not punishment from God. That's based on... You're going to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and doing what you wanted to do, what you thought was best, what you were motivated to do, and now you're suffering the consequences from it. But we can let people know that God's not holding you accountable. He's forgiven you all your transgressions. That's what it says in that verse. He's given to you the ministry of reconciliation, not accounting men's trespasses against them anymore. So you've been forgiven of all sin. You've been accepted into the family. And you are loved beyond measure. That's what, we, that's what we need to live. See, that's what we need to proclaim. That's what we need to let people know. Second thing I said last week, the reason we teach this message is because radical grace is the truth of the gospel. You pull this grace plus nothing out of the gospel, you don't have good news. It's going to end up being bad news in one form or another. I want you at the Digital Cathedral to learn and to know and to express that The gospel is totally good news with no bad news. Third thing we said last week is we do this message because we want it to remain with people. I don't want people slipping back under the law. That's how you fall from grace. Nor do I I try to be stable in what I teach. I try to be sound because I don't want you floating off into something that's crazy that's not going to fulfill your life and bring you the abundant life Jesus promised. And that's what I've seen people in grace do both. I've seen them go back into law. One young man, I had him into my church, preached a tremendous message. He came out of uh, legalism, came out of of the Kansas City prophetic, uh, Mike Bickle, all night prayer, all that stuff, work, work, work. He got grace and now he's moved back into that whole mess. I've got other people that are friends that have left grace because they think they've outgrown it or they've seen um, more revelation than, than grace. And so they've moved off into, into what I call la-la land. In other words, it's just stuff that's cosmic to me. It's, it has no gospel roots to it. And the fourth reason I gave you is we do this message because grace changes people more than any message that I've taught. And I've done it all. I've come through the prophetic. I've come through the deliverance. I've come through word of faith. There, there have been waves that have come through the body of Christ. I've always been a guy that could pick up on what's going on. But when this thing hit, I go, holy cow, this is the mother load. Because, because of all the branches, those uh, six exits off the main road of grace that I gave you a little bit ago, the fatherhood of God, inclusion, conditional love, et cetera, et cetera, there's no end to this. And Paul expressed it well in that seventh verse. We read it in the opening of Ephesians 2 that the Father is going to take the ages to come to show us the depth of his, his love and his grace that we have in Christ Jesus. So you're never going to outgrow this message. And there's no need to move off into a lot of other stuff that's not connected to grace. Now, we have not discovered all the exits off this highway yet. <clears throat> Some are, There's one that's beginning to break. Uh, Kay Fairchild's doing a great job talking about immortality. Tommy Miller has written a book called Deathless. I recommend you read it. I've done a series on immortality. At at about the same time, Tommy was coming out with a book, and I sensed this was something that's going to be coming into the church. It changes people. That was the fourth reason. The abundance of grace, the gift of righteousness, the gift of divine identity changes people far more than hammering people on uh, behavior, on do better, grab, grab hold. You can discipline. You can do it. Get dedicated. So grace is a spiritual empowerment. And what guides your life now, is a, because of grace, is a loving relationship with your father. You're not living anymore out of the fear of consequences if you mess up. Well, we spent a lot of time in church on that one, didn't we? You mess up, you mess up. God's not happy with you; He's angry. I mean, that's His basic nature. He's mad. He's angry. He's vindictive. He's judicial. So you better toe the line. We don't. Grace has led us into a place where none of that guides our life anymore. So as you walk out this loving relationship and experience the love, the kindness, the goodness. All the fruit of the Spirit comes out of grace. I'm convinced that. You live grace, the fruit of the Spirit is going to begin to manifest. Those are just natural BIPOC products of of love. Natural BIPOC products of grace. They conform you into the image of Christ. They make you like the head of the family, the Father himself. Now here's what's powerful. What you have within begins to spill on other people. I think that, that's going to be kind of a next phase that the Father takes us into, is really how to impart, as uh, the, the Spirit of truth has imparted us, how can we live the Christ as us life and impart into others what we have? How do, how do we dispense it? How can we effectively dispense it? So why do, why do we live this message? Why do I teach this message? Uh, you know, there's opposition, but we, we hold firm as Paul did. We're not going to get beaten with rods, probably, or stoned like Paul did, but we can become like John. I love what John said. In uh I, I can't remember the address, so forgive me. But John said this: He said, There's no greater joy I have than to see that my children walk in truth. Boy, that's powerful. I have no greater joy. The the, the greatest zing, I get in life, is when I get a message from somebody that says, I never saw what you're teaching before, but brother, I see it now. My eyes are open, I can never go back. Man, that makes everything worthwhile. As you see your friends and your family open up like that, it it makes it all worthwhile. All right, so number five, let me give you four more real quick. Number five, the reason we teach this message is because it takes people Time to get it. You know, you, you wonder sometimes, you know, why don't people see what I see? How come? The, how come they're blind to it? It's it's like one of those. Oh, I can't remember what you call them. When you you look in it and all you 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 look at a picture, you stare at it, and this looks like a bunch of disconnected lines. But the longer you stare at it, all of a sudden you see Abraham Lincoln's face, or you see the face of Jesus. You know, it's one of those. Hologram. Is it a hologram? That might be right. And so you're seeing this. So you call your friend over and say, hey, look at this. And he looks at it and says, I don't see anything. What are you talking about? I said, look, you can see Abraham Lincoln. There's Abraham Lincoln. He's looking at it. He said, I don't see any Abraham Lincoln. There's nothing there. You're seeing things. right?" That's kind of how this, this message is. The, the longer you look at it, the more you uh, walk in it, the more evident it becomes. So, when you bring people over to look at it, or they begin to express and you pick up by the Spirit, they're beginning to open their eyes. So, you, you show them the whole ball of wax. They're, they don't see it, takes people time. And Paul recognized that. I, I like what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Watch this 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This Some of you have family and friends that are right in this position. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. Let me see if I can get this down here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me get over to the right chapter. And verse 14. This is so, this is so relevant for today. Watch. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. He says, people's minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. So when you've got a teacher that continually winds the, the Old Testament into it, it puts, it puts a veil over their eyes. Until we really start understanding. And if you haven't, if you haven't got uh, the book I wrote called Unhooked the Book, it's Unhooked the Book. It's on Amazon. It'll teach you how to rightly divide the Word of God. So until we understand how to read the word, there remains a veil up unlifted in reading the Old Testament because the veil was taken away in Christ. When you discover the Christ that is within, all of a sudden that veil disappears. And you begin to be able to understand some of the allegorical, metaphorical Uh, passages of the old testament but you see them in an entirely different light because you're looking at it now through the lens of christ but even to this day when moses is read a veil lies on their heart so when people are emphasizing a mixed message a message of law there remains a veil over the hearts of people nevertheless when one turns to the lord repents that's what that word, when one turns to the Lord, when one repents, changes the direction he's walking in, sees what he didn't see before. The veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, verse 18. But we all, with an unveiled face, once you, once you come out of the Old Covenant, once you come out of that law, you see grace, you see all every exit that he reveals to you, exit off of the grace highway Which you accept, but Joyce come back on it, all right. Then you have you no longer have a veiled face. And he says, We all with an unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. Now you can't see that image as long as your law stuck. As long as your family and friends are totally stuck to the law. But the minute they begin to see the gospel, the moment grace begins to open up, the veil goes and they begin to see. And the more and when they begin to see it the more they will see it right so what do we do we have to understand we live this message we teach this message because it takes people time to get it so here's here's my my counsel be gentle with people be persistent demonstrate it and along the way some will begin to catch it when it's when it's their time their numbers up they're going to catch it and as they do their life begins to change. All of a sudden they begin to, to notice the changes that are happening in their life that they didn't dedicate themselves to, didn't fast to make happen, didn't push into the things of God, didn't call the prayer chain for the need I have. I'm, I'm not happy with I need to pray for me. No. All this change all of a sudden begins to happen. And they get hungry for more. And man, that's that's when they're that's when they're hooked. So as long as you sit under the law, as long as there's fragments of law that's being propagated or taught, the veil remains. But when you begin to turn to the one that is filled with grace and truth, that's a man. Jesus came full of grace and truth. When you turn to him, I'll tell you what, the cat hops out of the bag. And baby, once the cat's out of the bag, you can't put it back in. You cannot put the cat back in. So understanding for your friends, understanding for your families. And I can testify to this. When I first got a hold of this, none of my family, they were all, my family was very religious, very, very, you know. And I can tell you today that over a period of time, they saw the change in me, and they began to see it in themselves as well. They began to understand it. Gandhi, at least Gandhi is credited with saying First they ignore you, right? First they ignore you, then they laugh at you. Have you seen this? First they ignore you. You know they ignore. They, he'll, he'll figure it out. He, he'll get back on track. They ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, right? Then they fight you, and Gandhi said, "Then you win." Man, that is that is a track. That is so that is so accurate. At least in my experience with working with people that are just coming into the message. And, and this is why we live it. This is why we demonstrate it. Again, you don't have to preach. You don't have to try to convince people. All you do is live it. They may ignore you. They may laugh at you. They may confront you and fight you. But I'm going to tell you what, eventually you win. Through everyone those stages, the Holy Spirit is opening their eyes a little bit at a time. You know what Paul said? Paul said this. He said, don't grow weary in well-doing. For in due season, you're going to reap the harvest. So don't grow, well, don't grow weary well-doing with, with your family and your friends. All right. Number, number six. Why do we live this? Now, this is going to be touchy. It's because Satan opposes grace. And I think if you've been with me at the Digital Cathedral any length of time, you understand that Satan is not this guy with a red suit and a pitchfork with long tail and pointed ears that runs around the planet, right? That is taking from classical mythology. He's not a literal serpent. I I don't know one woman that would talk get close enough to a snake to talk to it. I don't know I wouldn't get down close enough to a snake that we can have some communication. See, Jesus called Peter Satan. He said, Satan, get behind me." And I think I think that's a key to what Satan is all about. It's a spiritual force that opposes the things of God. It's an invisible force that opposes the things of God. Let let me read a little bit here. Romans chapter 8. I, this now you don't you don't have to believe what I'm going to tell you here. But this makes the most spiritual sense to me in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7 it says that the carnal mind is enmity with God in other words the carnal mind the mind that has fed on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the mind that is dictated to by the physical senses is Enmity, or or uh, at war with, or in opposition against God, for it's not subject to the law of God. What is the law of God? Love one another as I've loved you, and Jesus is Lord. Right? It's not subject to that, nor indeed can it be. So those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now that's that's what I think. That's what I think. Satan actually is. It's the carnal mind. It's the mindset that you have, that you have naturally uh, had developed in you because of the culture and the world that we live in. Eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and, and the Father speaks to you something, automatically that, that knowledge from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil says this is illogical. This does not make sense. I, if I go this way, it's going to uh, it's going to be a hard road to hoe. It's going to be a defeat. See, it's in opposition. It's in conflict. I I think it much clearer defines the enemy of God than a serpent or a man in a red suit. Let Let me read just a couple of other verses. I got to hurry out this morning. Romans chapter eight verse five. Let me read down through verse eight. Verse. Five. Where are you here? Okay. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, on the things of the Spirit. Which tree are you living at? Which tree is feeding you? Right. So you you're gonna. The reason we live this message is you have to understand there are people that have been feeding on the wrong tree all of their life. All of their life. And so what is going to flow out of them is going to be venom. It's going to be opposition. It's going to be pride. It's going to be ego. For to be kindly minded is death, but to be spirit minded is life and peace. That's the two trees. When you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it produces death. But when you eat from the tree of life, it produces life. Right? So... You're going to be, whatever whoever minds the things of the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil is bent on death, not physical death, but a sense of separation, not connected. But when you eat on the, from the tree of life, which is a tree simply responding to the Father of what he says, you, you find life. Because the carnal mind, verse 7, says, His enmity against God It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So those... So then those, verse 8 says, who are in the flesh cannot please God. Right? I, think that's, I think that's pretty simple. So the, the carnal mind that has been developed from the wrong tree opposes grace. And here's why. Because it renders the mind in a position where it is submitting, it is submitting to the spirit. And I'm telling you something, the mind mind that has been fed on the wrong tree does not want to submit to anything. It wants the dominance. It wants the preeminence. So when Jesus comes, man of grace and truth, he went through three temptations. Right In Matthew, you can read, as soon as he was water baptized, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And there were three, three temptations that Jesus faced. Turn the stones to bread. That was a test of self-sufficiency. You can do this on your own. You can can push in. You can make it, right? Jump off the top of the temple. That's that's where you force God's hand. If you're really God, then you're going to catch me. You're not going to let me fall. And finally, he was offered all the nations of the earth. That was a, a shortcut to the destination that Jesus was sent to do. He was sent to reconcile the cosmos. So the temptation was, let me take a shortcut. I don't have to go to the cross, all right? This, this power, this, this carnal thing, this mind that is, that is challenging, is telling me I can do this without going to the cross. Now listen, listen. They were all challenges to his identity. If you are the son of God, then do this. And that'll be the challenge to you. When you begin to to live out this message and you have friends that are, uh, you know, they're not living the message out, and so they're gonna challenge you uh, on your authentic identity. See, if you're a son of God, you may look at yourself, sometimes you go, man, if I'm God's son, why am I going through this? If I'm God's son, how come this is happening? Now, at that point, you're gonna determine which tree you're gonna eat from. That's when you get silent, you get quiet, you wait on him. And when he speaks, you obey it. What you see him do, you do. That, that moves you out of the carnal mind. Now, you have friends that are still caught up in that. So the reason we live this message is to, to help them untangle and get over to the right tree. Grace neutralizes everything that feeds you from the wrong tree when we teach when we live grace when we teach grace when we demonstrate grace we're showing people that the carnal mind is not in control ego is not in control and we can we can chow down at the tree of life and that can be the very source from which we draw everything All right number 7 number 7 the reason we we live this message out is because some bible teachers some bible teachers oppose it and <laughs> oh really some Bible teachers oppose it. First Timothy chapter one and verse seven. 1 Timothy chapter one and verse seven. Did you know all the all the T's the ti the, the are in alphabetical order? They are. The, 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 uh, what is it? The, before um, Timothy, it's Thessalonians. So it's Thessalonians H Titus I. And Titus, T, right? So if you're ever looking in your Bible having trouble, just remember all the T's are in alphabetical order. Okay, some teachers oppose this message, right? First uh, Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. I always do that. I go to Second Timothy. That's not what I want. First Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, Desiring to be teachers of the law. Now listen to me carefully, because you, you, you might be sitting in a church where there's law still being taught. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things that they affirm. Otherwise, other they don't get it. They don't understand what the heck they're doing. They're very sincere. I'm convinced there are a lot of pastors in my city, and probably your city too, that are very sincere. Now I, I have to say they're misinformed. They're not enlightened. Their eyes are slammed shut. They're not awakened. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. See, you can educate yourself to be a teacher of religion. Thank God for Global Grace Seminary. Global Grace Seminary is Christocentric. It's grace-centered. And it's based on Trinitarian theology, which is inclusion, right? Thank God for that. But you can go to a school and get educated in how to teach and minister law. I'm living proof. I I went through the system. I got my my degrees from the preacher factories, right? And they taught me how to do it. it's what I thought everybody taught. You can get educated into teaching religion. Now, you can't get educated (laughs) about grace. Grace comes as a revelation. Grace comes... As you open your eyes, as you begin to see truth, it comes from the spirit of truth rising within you. So here's uh, the reason we teach this, reason we live it and demonstrate it, is so that maybe you're in contact, maybe you have a relationship with those that are still teaching law. Right? So we want them to be able to see what we see. We love them. We want them to see the unconditional love the Father has for them. We want them to see the mercy that endures forever that is exercised in their life. So you have to understand that when somebody's teaching the law, they don't know the depth of what they're teaching. They don't know the ramifications. They don't understand the guilt, the condemnation, the fear that's arising into those that have heard that message week after week after week and year after year. So they're going to they're gonna oppose you on the basis of the lens of their training, not spirit insight that they've received. I'm gonna tell you something, it's a bitter pill to swallow that you've not had the mind of Christ in what you have taught for years. And you begin to evaluate, say, you know what? I I see it, I was teaching from my education, I was teaching from what my peers taught, I was teaching from what I learned out of books, didn't have, very much, didn't have very much, if any, spirit revelation to it. So how, how do you handle those? First of all, let me tell you something. You resist debating. You resist debating. Uh, Titus, Paul gives, I think Titus must have been running into this situation because Paul gives him some advice uh, in Titus chapter 3 and verse 9. He said, avoid ful- foolish disputes. Genealogies, and I think that genealogy for me speaks, don't argue with people about the edemic nature. You know you never had an edemic, edemic nature, no person ever had it, there's no scriptural basis. My book, Religion Busters, I lay that all out for you. Contentions, strivings about the law, because they're unprofitable and useless. I have never argued Anybody that was a law man into becoming a grace man. Man, when I first got this message, I started posting on Facebook. This is the honest truth. It's never happened in in quite a while. But when I first began to teach the message on Facebook, there weren't many people getting it. I would run 500 comments on the thread. And most of it was arguing me back and forth, playing spiritual ping pong, trying to convince. Not one of those people ever got convinced. Not, not one. Outside of Paul, who was knocked down after the cross by Jesus, who was a Pharisee. I don't know of any Pharisees. Some people think Nicodemus, possibly. But he didn't really debate Jesus. He came to Jesus seeking the truth. Jesus did not do well at converting people that opposed the message that he came to bring. So as as this wave now here's I want to make this point. As this wave grows across the world and it's getting stronger, it's a, it's become a tsunami. We're going we're we are moving we're in a transition I can see it right now. We're moving from where we used to be very defensive about this teaching. We're very defensive in what we were living. As that changes, you know what there's a point that the that the boat that the balance tips and no longer will we be defensive and it's starting to happen. We move to the offense and we begin to, to, to put the screws down to the law and to uh, legalism and to keep people and keeping people ensnared in eating from the wrong tree and all that goes along with it. So we're, we're kind of moving in a transition from defense to offense. But you have to understand there are some teachers of the law and you don't have to argue them into truth you don't have to debate them you love them you're patient you're kind you just live it out and if they if they want to debate with you don't debate don't get into spiritual don't get into scriptural ping pong You know, you serve me your verse, I return it with another verse. You give me a verse and I give you a verse. And we go back and forth. I've I've gone through all of that. It does not work. All right, that's seven. Now, number eight, if for no other reason, this is why I teach. For no other reason, this is why you teach, why you live, why you demonstrate a pure, radical, hyper-grace message. Are you ready? This is the big one to me. It's so that we have a truth to pass to the next generation. This is earth shaking. This, this this breaks down everything that we've ever done. Paul understood that we need to keep this teaching and flow down to the next generation. Let me let me tell you, show you what Paul said here. Let me get over, let me get over to 2 Timothy. I told you all the eyes were alphabetical, right? Let me get over here. 2 Timothy. This is this is this is insight here, brother. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. He said, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in it. Be firm in it. Don't back up from it. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit those to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now I want you to look at this in case you have never noticed this. Paul, Paul's talking about four levels here. Paul is talking to Timothy, his son. And he says, Timothy, I want you to teach faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So that's four, we could call it four spiritual generations. Paul to Timothy, to faithful men who would be able to teach others. So that's that's four levels deep. I'm going to tell you something. When we hit four levels, when we have our Timothy, and they teach faithful men who teach others, uh, this message is going to be so entrenched it will never reverse. Now this is important. This is important because the church has never built for longevity. It has never built for the next generation. The church has has been always looking for the rapture, always looking for the way out, thought the rapture was coming before breakfast. Never know, Jesus could break those skies. So the result was every generation spiritually started at ground level, at, at level zero, instead of building on what the previous generation imparted and deposited to them. Now I'm telling you this morning, this is an extremely important point. We want to be able to give our children who can give your grandchildren who will then pass to their children this message that you are on the front lines of battle with, that you're on the breaking wave. Church has never done that. There's a huge word right now in my life and it's the word legacy. Maybe it's because I'm at that point in life that I, I want every person, the greatest joy I have is to see my children and my grandchildren not be hung up on all the stuff I was hung up on. You know, I thank God for His grace that has helped me to show them and to lead them into a place that they're not hung up on legalism. They, do, they know the relationship with the Father is not based on their goody-goody actions. They've come to that place. Paul refused to quit until he, until he accomplished his goal. And at one point he said, I finished my race. I've accomplished everything that has been given to me. I'm ready to hook them. I'm ready to go. See, that's the time. Shouldn't have to leave dying of cancer. Shouldn't have to be a heart attack. But when you have settled in with four generations, that's an exhilaration that's beyond imagination. So uh, the reason we do this is so that we have something of concrete liberty, validity, and truth that we can give to the next generation. Let me say this in conclusion. I'm gonna park the bus. I'm really happy to partner with y'all. I love making this journey with you. you. You are the family. And I love partnering with you as together we're carrying this message to the next generation. Now the next generation, you might be 35 years old and got this. Next generation might be somebody who's 50. But you're looking for your Timothy that you can instill that he can give to faithful men that can give to others. Might be within your natural family and I think that's a a strong priority. See, our work is cut out for us. It's a message whose time has come. I don't know any group of people than the Digital Cathedral and those that come Wednesday night to the secret place. I don't know of any group of people that I'm more excited about to partner with, to live this message out with than I am for you. Thank you for watching. Thank you for being a part of. See, it's not without its difficulties. It's not without its opposition. Now this is interesting. I'm trying to get done here. Religion has opposition and pushback and it's from the world. World doesn't want anything to do with the religion. World World can smell religion a mile away. So the world has a push. This religion has a pushback from the world. You and I do not have pushback from the world. I do not find anybody that that would claim to be a non-church person, a non that that argues about grace. Our pushback comes from the established church not from those that are outside the established church has missed the greatest tool of evangelism there is and that is the message that you and i are sharing together now there are times i feel a little bit like abraham when abraham was told to leave his country his family submit familiar surroundings and go to a place he didn't know where he was going abraham said where the heck are we going god said i'll tell you when we get there i feel like that i've left everything that was familiar everything that built reputation and I worked hard for. <laughs> the, the temptation is to hang on to the familiar. I understand that. Listen, you and I are on a journey together. I can't tell you where we're going, but I'm going to tell you something. The destination is out of this world. He has given us a message. He's given us a mandate. And it's that time for you and me to just simply demonstrate and live it out. Amen? All right, Hope this these two messages have been an encouragement to you to just persist and continue with what God has deposited in you to let the world know who they've always been and didn't know it and what they possess that they didn't understand they already had. All right, see you Wednesday night at the Secret Place. See you back next Sunday morning. Same time, same place for the Digital Cathedral. God bless you. Have a wonderful week and just live it out. Amen. See you next time.
0: Thanks for lending us your ears. Just a quick reminder. Our digital cathedral on YouTube gives subscribers the privilege of a front row seat every week. It's a place where our collective excitement amplifies. If you're ready to give, go to donkeithley.com and click on Donate. Your continuous support propels our growth. And for that, we're immensely grateful. Don't forget to hit that follow button and spread the love by sharing this life-giving message with your friends. Have a week filled with blessings and divine encounters. Until next time, stay in grace.